This is World Lutheran News Digest, an audio news magazine bringing you a look at significant events in worldwide Lutheranism. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO, a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Today on World Lutheran News Digest... I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. Twenty years ago, the Congress passed the International Religious Freedom Act. Lawmakers from both sides of the aisle were near unanimous in its support. But now, instead of continuing universal support for the concept, it's become a partisan issue. Recently, the State Department convened its first conference on the subject. The New York Times attacked the conference in an editorial, stating that the conference had a too narrow vision of religious freedom. It even said that evangelicals, such as Vice President Michael Pence, are, in its words, antithetical to the very concept of religious freedom. The blatantly anti-Christian tone of the editorial drew the attention of Jonathan Tobin. He's editor-in-chief of the Jewish News Syndicate and a noted commentator. He replied with a commentary of his own in the National Review Online. Mr. Tobin is my guest today on World Lutheran News Digest. And now today's Fast Track. Monday night, President Donald Trump promised to continue pressing pro-life and religious freedom issues. His comments came during remarks to Christian leaders whom he thanked for their incredible support. The president said it was an honor to share a dinner with evangelical leaders who, quote, believe in the dignity of life, the glory of God, and the power of prayer. During the meal, the president promised to continue fighting for religious freedom and pro-life values, and he defended defunding International Planned Parenthood's abortion business, which has cost the biggest abortion company in the world $100 million. A federal appeals court protected religion in public square yesterday, rejecting an attempt to strip the national motto, In God We Trust, from U.S. coins and bills. The court case atheist activist Dr. Michael Nido's most recent loss in a string of cases trying to remove any mention of God in government. Crucial to the Eighth Circuit's decision was its adoption of Beckett Law's argument that, under a 2014 Supreme Court case, all Establishment Clause rulings must now align with U.S. history on religion in the public square. Beckett uniquely raised this argument as a friend of the court brief after the federal government failed to do so. Fifteen additional states have now joined Nebraska in supporting a Michigan funeral home's right to fire a transgender employee. In 2013, R.G. and G.R. Harris Funeral Homes terminated the employment of Anthony Stevens, this after Stevens told a supervisor of his plans to become Amy and transition from being a man to a woman. Stevens intended to begin dressing like and identifying as a woman one year prior to his planned surgery. He had been employed at the funeral home since 2007 as a funeral director and embalmer. But according to federal home owner and president Thomas Rost, Anthony's dressing like a woman could be in violation of the funeral home's dress code. Furthermore, Rost was concerned about Anthony using the women's restroom and said that to employ a man presenting himself as a woman would go against Rost's Christian beliefs. Rost is a Baptist. After Anthony Stevens was fired, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission filed a lawsuit against the funeral home on Stevens' behalf. Once President Donald Trump was elected, the American Civil Liberties Union became involved as well, allegedly concerned that the administration would not be favorable to the case. 
Initially, a federal court judge, Sean Cox, ruled in favor of the Detroit area funeral home, which was represented by Alliance Defending Freedom. But this past March, an appeals court ruled against RG and GR Harris Funeral Homes, declaring that they had indeed violated federal anti-discrimination ban when firing Stevens. And now last week, Nebraska State Attorney General Doug Peterson filed a friend-of-the-court brief on behalf of 16 states, urging the United States Supreme Court to hear the funeral home's case. This is World Lutheran News Digest. I'm World Lutheran News Digest host Kip Allen. My guest today is Mr. Jonathan S. Tobin. He's a well-known commentator and editor who has been published and worked with The Weekly Standard, New York Times, Christian Science Monitor, USA Today, Today, CNN, Fox, Fox Business, BBC, PBS, Pacifica, and many others. He also has more than 50 journalism awards. Mr. Tobin, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me on. Great to be with you. Mr. Tobin, can you uh, say a little bit about yourself? Well, uh, professionally right now, I'm... Uh my main job is as uh, editor-in-chief of JNS.org, an international news service. But I also um, spend some time writing for other publications, uh, principally National Review, where I'm a contributing writer, uh, Federalist, um, and uh, the New York Post, among others. The reason I wanted you on this program today was I read one of your articles called The Resistance Shows Its Anti-Christian Bias. It was published on the 21st of this month in National Review Online. What was the basic thesis of this article, and why did you write it? Um, the piece was a reaction to a New York Times editorial that appeared on Sunday, which um, was a uh, an attempt uh, on their part to uh, attack the Trump administration and uh, the State Department in particular for holding a conference um, dealing with religious persecution around the world. Um, the um, International Religious Persecution Act was passed 20 years ago. It called for the creation of an ambassador-level um, uh, State Department official who would take on the portfolio of dealing with religious persecution, and called for the State Department to issue an annual report, which it has done over the last 20 years. The Trump administration is, however, uh, attempting to uh, prioritize this rather than just have it as one among many functions um, that the State Department is fulfilling. And it held a conference along those lines on religious persecution around the world, um, at which Vice President Pence gave the keynote speech and as far as the Times was concerned, they were having none of it. And um, while they, while the, the newspaper was prepared to pay lip service to the idea that caring about religious persecution abroad is something Americans uh, should, should, should do, uh, they felt that the Trump administration had no business doing it. Um, part of it was just uh, the... Uh, what we've come to know as the normal partisanship in our hyper-polarized society in which basically anything this administration does, good, bad, or indifferent, is going to be opposed by its liberal, you know, by its liberal opposition. And, um, you know, part of it is, regardless of whatever you think about President Trump or his administration, it's clear, um, you know, if he came out in favor of ice cream, the Times would uh, have a negative reference about ice cream. So that's one piece of it. But it went much further than that, in that it 
felt that uh, the fact that this uh, cause is being supported by evangelical Christians and the fact that Trump's ambassador dealing with religious persecution was a religious Catholic in the form of former Kansas Governor Sam Brownback, that that completely uh, tilted the issue, that they... Anything that these groups are for has to be bad because they believe uh, that uh, evangelicals and conservative Christians and indeed conservative Catholics uh, don't really believe in freedom, don't really believe in uh, the ideals of this country. And um, this came through not just this wasn't even really just between the lines. It was in language and in, in the editorial where um, it spoke of Brownback, who's it acknowledged that he pledged that uh, the United States and the administration was against persecution no matter who were its intended objects, no matter which faith was involved. And it said that Brownback did this, quote, despite his strict Catholic beliefs, as if to say that American Catholics uh, are really in favor of a new edition of the Spanish Inquisition, <laughs> rather than uh, supporting freedom like other Americans. It then went on to speak of Pence and evangelicals, again, as people who don't believe in religious freedom or who are using it as a uh, a shield for their own desire to persecute others. Uh, where does this come from? Clearly, it's a function of disagreements that we've been having in this country about how we define religious freedom at home um, in various court cases um, in which um, uh, conservative Christians in particular um, were asking for the right to be exempted from, say, the uh, Obamacare uh, t- contraception mandate or for abortion drugs, or conservative Christians who didn't wish to be compelled to, be, to take part in um, gay weddings, um, invoking their right of religious freedom, um, which, as far as the Times was concerned, is completely illegitimate. Um, religion, you know, the First Amendment... Free speech is, you know, it's the, you know, free speech for me, but not for the rule. So that was the entire tone of that editorial, uh, which just reeked uh, of anti-Christian bias. And um, it, it struck a particularly unpleasant and, frankly, undemocratic tone. And I thought it needed to be, uh, it needed to be answered, and I was glad that we were able to, to publish that in the National Review. One of the things that strikes me is that the original act, the International Religious Freedom Act in uh, 1998, passed overwhelmingly with bipartisan support. Mm-hmm. Why is That's this? very true. And, and, and yet uh, today we're seeing this huge divide. What has changed? Well, the issue hasn't changed, um, if, if, but, you know, except to the extent that it is a more important issue now than perhaps it even was 20 years ago. Um, I think 20 years ago, when Democrats joined with Republicans in Congress to pass it overwhelmingly in the House of Representatives and by unanimous vote in the Senate, today it's seen in a slightly different uh, way. Um, partly because, of, as I noted, um, we are a more polarized society now. And it seems there really isn't, you know, we, we look for neutral ground where people of goodwill from both uh, ends of the spectrum can kind of join um, in, in, in a common defense of American values. But um, those, uh, those uh, pieces of, of um, neutral ground are getting more and more scarce. I would have thought that this would have been one of them but apparently not. 
And again, I think that's because the whole idea of religious freedom has, from the point of view, I think, of liberal Democrats, been politicized. Um, they see the invocation of religious freedom as, uh, you know, as something that uh, is associated with people with whom they disagree, and therefore they don't like it. Even more to the point, I think a lot of the focus of religious persecution abroad is on what's going on in Muslim and Islamist-ruled countries, where Christians are uh, at risk, clearly. Um, the Christian minorities are under more and more pressure. We've seen that just to see two examples in Turkey, where the Erdogan regime has targeted Christians, targeted an American pastor, uh, and imprisoned him, and the Trump administration has asked for his release. Um, and that seemed to be somehow something that Times couldn't get behind, because it's, well, there are other Americans there. Well, of course there are other Americans that have been imprisoned in that increasingly authoritarian Islamist country. Um, and in the United States, the Trump administration wants all of them released. This one was in particular because he was arrested because of his faith, and it, it really fell under the, the, you know, it was important in terms of the context of the International Religious Persecution Act that the United States speak out. And again, so this has become something that is a bit unfashionable on the left because they are more afraid of um, what they consider to be Islamophobia uh, and so afraid of it that they are reluctant to speak out against uh, Islamist tyrannies. And when you contrast, in the Times editorial, um, drew a direct contrast between President Obama's policies towards the, Islam, towards the Muslim world and those of, pre of President Trump. Now, uh, Trump is not without his fault. Uh, I'm not here to, you know, sort of uh, defend him uh, right or wrong, but the focus of Obama's foreign policy in the Middle East was an attempt, yes, he was very interested in outreach to the Muslim world, which in principle is fine, but in practice it meant an attempt to appease the uh, Islamist regime in Iran, which is itself one of the great persecutors of religious minorities in the world. And it downplayed that concern in order to pursue other avenues, to pursue other issues that it thought were more important. The Trump administration has made, has been friendly with some, you know, we have Muslim regimes, we're closer than ever with Saudi Arabia, which is, has its faults as well. But, you know, it has uh, focused on the persecution in Iran and in Turkey, and somehow that uh, is something that the Times just can't, and Times and many liberals, and unfortunately some Democrats can't get behind. Well, we also look, I know we here in the LCMS, and I think uh, many Christians at, uh, as a whole believe that the society has become increasingly hostile to people of faith, especially over the last 10 years. Well, I think you're right. I think this falls into something that I referenced earlier, where uh, the power of government uh, and its desire to promote certain social uh, values or social projects um, Obamacare and the prescription mandate and the, the contraception mandate was certainly a big issue there, um, as well as the um, decisions to legalize gay marriage. Um, and it has become to the point where anyone who dissents from measures such as that, whatever they're, they're, whether you're for it or against it, it, it has become the idea for some on the left that if you don't go along with it, you just don't belong in, in society. You have no place in the public square. And that is incompatible with uh, our First Amendment rights, which, um, you know, our first freedom of, of freedom of religion has to be protected.
and that has become uh, a freedom that some of our friends on the left just don't seem to to respect anymore, or seem to think uh, they seem to have such a cribbed version of it. Um, oh, oh, it only we, means that you can be private. You know, you can you can worship in the privacy of your home, but not you know, as a full-fledged American citizen in the public square. And that is not what our founders wanted. That's not what the amendment calls for. You know, it's also ignoring the uh, the uh, free exercise clause. But exactly. The- free. It's not just not to establish a religion, but our free exercise. And they don't seem to think that that free exercise really applies well, when it conflicts with their goals. Well, I see a lot of arguments that are ma- being made. For example, uh, specifically in the case of Jack Phillips, when he was before the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, where one of the commissioners flat out said, well, religion is simply a tool for oppression. And we're we're seeing it uh, again and again and again. Uh, You don't agree with gay marriage? Well, then you're a a homophobe and you've got to be silenced or forced to go Mm -hmm. along with it. Or uh, the way California Act tried to mandate uh, women's uh, health clinics uh, who are pro-life to actually advertise for abortion services. Yes, I think in both these cases, quite rightly, uh, the Supreme Court um, sort of brushed back these attempts to to sort of stamp out religious freedom, uh, both in terms of the right of free speech and the right to free exercise of religion. But they're clearly in danger. Um, there, there are forces in this country that seem to think that freedom of religion is not as important as other things. And you know, again, we can we can you know, reasonable people can disagree about many issues. We can debate, uh, you know, we can debate the Obamacare mandate. We can debate gay marriage. But what we sh- what shouldn't be on the table is the right of Americans to practice their religion and to be allowed the space to do so. And um, that is the troubling aspect of the way this debate has gone. Now, when I, you know, in this piece that I wrote in National Review that we're, we're sort of is our starting off point, you know, I spoke of the clear anti-Christian bias and the openness of it, which is shocking um, for the New York Times to be, to be expressing itself in that way. And I speak as someone who is not a Christian. I'm a Jew. But I know religious prejudice when I see it. And that's what's going on here. This is open bias, and it's bias to the point. And you know, we we're living in a time where, seventy years after the Holocaust, sadly, anti-Semitism is back in fashion. There is a rising tide of it uh, spreading around the world. Uh, we're also seeing now uh, in this country uh, a rising tide of contempt for and uh, lack of you know of contempt for religion and a lack of respect for our right to to exercise it, uh, no matter what your faith is. And uh, this is something that I think people of faith, people of goodwill, whether they're of faith or not, should be resisting, should be worried about. Well, I think you know, you, you broach upon anti-Semitism, and I think this has always been something that has just been barely under the surface in Europe and in Asia and in Africa. But I think I'm seeing a rise of it here in the United States, which I never thought I would see. Uh, but I'm seeing well, it now. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing politicians and 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 uh, celebrities and policymakers actually denouncing uh, many aspects of the Jewish faith. Yeah, I think we are. I'll just make one distinction. What's going on in Europe? It's frightening. It's open. It's uh, it's on the streets, and it's uh, prevalent not only in uh, areas where people were you know where it's 
it's been affected more, uh, materially by the large influx of um, immigrants from the Middle East uh, you know, who have sort of brought their Islamist anti-Semitism with them, but it's also manifested in sort of uh, elites as well who, who sort of, you know, are in a strange alliance with, uh, between secular and uh, you know, sort of very religious Islamists. What's going on in the United States is not as bad. Let's draw a distinction. Let's, let's um, understand that American exceptionalism is still holding to some extent. Uh, anti-Semitism is nowhere near as big a problem in this country as it is elsewhere. But it is starting to crop up um, you know, on, on American college campuses. And yes, even in some cases, uh, leading poli- you know, politicians have embraced a new form of anti-Semitism. It usually goes under the guise of anti-Zionism or uh, attacks on Israel. Now, of course, it's, you know, it, it, there's nothing wrong with criticizing Israel. There's nothing illegitimate. What is illegitimate is saying that the one Jewish state on this planet has no right to exist in the way that every other country has a right to exist, where if you're willing to deny to Jews rights that you would never think of denying to anyone else, well, that's an act of prejudice. And as the lawyers would say, the term of art for that is anti-Semitism. And yes, we are starting to see it. It's true that anti-Semitism still exists on the far right, uh, the Ku Klux Klan and the neo-Nazis, which are marginal groups, but still exist. And we're, we, you know, we're right to care about them and to, to worry about them. But what's also going on is on the far left, it's become a little more uh, legitimate. We see groups like the Nation of Islam and Louis Farrakhan, open anti-Semites, um, spewing the worst sort of, of Jew hatred, um, being applauded, having mass followings. We see uh, people being elected to Congress uh, or winning primaries, expressing anti- not just anti-Israel views, but anti-Semitic views. Um, and that's a problem for the far left of the Democratic Party. And it's something that, um, is, it, you know, not just conservatives or Republicans or people of faith have to care about. This is something that liberals have to care about because uh, their end of the spectrum is being, is, uh, is tilting in that direction, too. And if we don't, you know, if we don't stop it now, we'll have a situation where they have what they, similar to what's going on in Britain, where the head of the Labor Party, the leading opposition party to the government, is uh, Jeremy Corbyn, who is an open anti-Semite, who is a left-wing anti-Semite. He's not sort of, sort of uh, some people in this country think it's only anti-Semitism is something that only happens on the far right. No, it's now much more popular on the far left. And there's a good chance that that fellow will become the next prime minister of uh, the United Kingdom. And, um, you know, we're a long way from there. But, you know, the signs of, of that, of where that began, are starting to crop out in the United States, too. And it's up to, as I said, people of goodwill and of good faith, uh, whether liberal or conservative, Democrat or Republican, need to speak out against it, just as they need to speak out against um, uh, prejudice against uh, Christians and against people of faith in general. I am somewhat... Uh Amused is the wrong phrase. I, I, I view with some irony that Jews traditionally support the Democratic Party, especially in view of its increasingly anti-Semitic stance. Well, uh, you know, people have written a lot of books about that, and, uh, you know, it would take more than the, the length of this interview to sort of take a deep dive into explaining. Uh, let's just say that for historical reasons, as a largely immigrant community, um, American Jews 
um, identify with the Democrats and the left, uh, largely, not completely, but to, to, you know, a majority do. Jews are also, American Jews also are, um, I, I think the liberalism is explained because as Judaism grew on these shores, it came to, certain variants of it, certainly Reformed Judaism, um, came to um, identify Judaism with liberalism or liberal politics. And the old joke was uh, that, you know, some Reformed Jews thought that, that Judaism was the Democratic Party platform with holidays thrown in. <laughs> now, I think that's unfair to Reform Judaism, because which is, you know, a, a vibrant, serious faith that des- is deserving of respect. But for a lot of Jews, it kind of is true. And uh, I think on one foot, that's where they are politically. And that's that's, that's how that happened. Now, um, there, to, to say that anti-Semitism or, and certainly uh, contempt for Israel and opposition to Israel's existence is growing on the left is true. It's not true for all Democrats. Um, but what, what we've seen in this country is that uh, the two major parties have sort of exchanged identities on that issue in the last 50 or 60 years. A couple of generations ago, the Republicans were kind of so-so on Israel. They were not very, you know, there was a debate among Republicans. Many didn't care. Um, many were not supportive. Some were. Democrats were more or less in lockstep in support of, of, of Israel for a number of reasons. Nowadays, the Republicans are the lockstep pro-Israel uh, philo-Semitic party. I mean, there's almost no dissent. You, know, we could, you could count on, uh, on one hand the number of members of Congress who are Republicans who are not ardent supporters of Israel and of of the Jewish people. The Democrats, um, even though the overwhelming majority of Jews who are in Congress are Democrats, the Democrats are divided. And we've seen that in, you know, we've seen that grow over the last 10 to 20 years. They're, they're very much divided on, on Israel. And there are, you know, certain significant factions that are critical, if not openly hostile. Um, not all, clearly, but that's where the debate is, and that's what's, that's what's troubling. And again, that's something that Jewish Democrats and liberals need to address, because it's, it's a problem on their end of the spectrum. It's not something that a conservative like me can fix. It's up for them to fight that fight. Well, Mr. Tobin, we're out of time, but I really want to thank you for shedding light on this. And I would certainly urge any of our listeners to go to this article that you have on uh, National Review Online. It's uh, very informative. Well, thanks very much, and they can read me every day on JNS.org as well. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, sir. Okay, World Lutheran News Digest may be heard every Wednesday at 2.30 p.m. and again at 9.30 a.m. Saturday Central Time on Worldwide KFUO. It may also be heard anytime streaming online at kfuo.org. Join us again next Wednesday for another new edition of World Lutheran News Digest. I'm your host, Kip Allen. World Lutheran News Digest is a broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. WLN Digest is produced through the facilities of Worldwide KFUO. You can also listen to WLN Digest on demand at kfuo.org. To correspond with World Lutheran News Digest, email news at kfuo.org.